episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich, and calling in, as always, from his moon base is my partner, Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Darren, how are you today? Jeff, I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, man? You know, um, I, I, I'm doing really well. Um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm getting excited for, for the weekend. I'll, I'll be uh, leaving the moon base to... Uh, to do something that's really kind of like close to my heart and kind of in my bailiwick of uh, Lost fandom. I, I don't know if you remember, Darren, at all, but I, I, I was kind of really into a show called Lost once. I seem to recall that show, and I seem to recall you writing a few hundred thousand words about it every week, yes. Yeah, just a small little thing, no big deal. And <laughs> um, But uh, um, there's some Lost fans out there that have uh, that are organizing this uh, this cool webcast and, uh, and charity auction to support the National Brain Tumor Society, um, and it's called Cancer Gets Lost, and you can go to cancergetslost.org for more information about it, but there's going to be a webcast on Saturday from 12 to 4, and uh, I'm going to go over there and be on that webcast for half an hour and talk about some crazy lost theories and uh, um, my own sort of experiences with, with cancer, because, hey, that's fun to talk about. Absolutely. And, Yes, but uh, but I definitely wanted to give a shout out to to that. It's a really cool cause. They're auctioning off a lot of cool stuff, memorabilia from the show, autographed by various stars and all the producers. So definitely check it out. Cancergetslost.org. That's that's, uh, that's really exciting, Jeff. Uh, do you have any new theories that you can kind of tease us with, or anything you've been kind of uh, you know you know working over in the preparation for this? You know, I you know I haven't to be honest, <laughs> and I you know like I, I, I've I've. I've I've left a large degree of lost theorizing behind. When I do think about lost these days, I, I do like to think about um, uh, the whole thing as a subversive allegory for atheism. I see. And with that, we begin the official uh, the official part of the new Entertainment Geekly episode. Uh, Jeff, let's just do a, a, a quick roundup. There's been a lot of exciting news about upcoming geek-themed movies. Uh, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, we've discussed several times on this podcast the Phase 2 portion of Marvel's cinematic universe. Really exciting news this week that director James Gunn is currently being considered or maybe in contention to direct the adaptation of Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I have to say, this immediately made me about a thousand percent more intrigued by this movie than I was before. Um, What do you think about this, Jeff? Are are you a fan of of Gunn's work at all? Can we just say first, though, how how interesting and how quickly you moved off of subversive allegory for atheism in our last conversation? Did that make you uncomfortable, Darren? (laughs) Like you just wow, you you moved off that pretty quickly. I try to save our discussions about subversion and atheism for around minute thirty. You know, Jeff, I <laughs> I really believe in sort of like you know you know, backing slowly into those really heavy topics. Um, Good but point. That, you, that's a rather heavy kind of thing to launch into right away. If you'd like, though, we can we can make everything we talk about today somehow relate back to that. Jeff, Guardians no. of the Galaxy. How is that? In, how is that a, a text uh, in favor of, of atheism? <laughs> I have no theories on that. I think I remember uh, in in the book of Revelation. There was a mention of, of, of Rocket Raccoon somewhere. There, there, there is, so. yes, yes. And, uh, and, and and he shall deliver the cup of, uh, I don't know. Destruction. Yeah, wow, let's just, okay. End, end of subversive atheism conversation, moving into Guardians of the Galaxy, which I could not be more excited about. And I love the idea of James Gunn doing it, if he is indeed doing it. I, 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 I dig James Gunn. Um, 
I, I, I loved Slither. I mean, uh, did you see Slither? I, I actually haven't seen it, no, but uh, I've always heard great things. That's the sort of a Nathan Fillion uh, monster movie, right? That's right. And he did Super, right, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Rain Wilson. Did you see that? I also didn't see that either. <laughs> I, I, am, I, am, I am not very up on James Gunn, but people I know tell me that I would like both of those movies. I, don't, I, I haven't trusted them in, until now, but maybe I should. Have you seen, I forget what the name of the series was, but he did a series of shorts that were hysterical, like like, like basically PG-rated porn kind of, uh, like... It, uh, uh, yes, it, it, it was called PG porn. Uh, PG porn. Yes, haven't seen that either. Like, I think, maybe, but mm-hmm. like the, those shorts were absolutely hysterical, too. He's, a, I mean, like, very funny, very smart, great sense of style, um, there's a subversive kind of tone and a playfulness to it, and I'd love to see what he could do with a budget that's more than, like, say, $3 million. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, that could be really interesting. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm very intrigued about, about the potential marriage of, of that filmmaker with, with this kind of material. Because as we've talked about before on this podcast, strangely enough, of all the upcoming Marvel movies, the one that I am most excited about is the one that's the, the the biggest unknown, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. What is this going to be about? I think it could be uh, cool. Yep. Uh, I also want to talk a little bit, uh, moving outside of the world of superhero cinema, Jeff. Uh, this press release was sent out uh, earlier this week about how they have officially now started filming Mad Max Fury Road. Really, really long, weird pre-production backstory on this. George Miller, who made the original Mad Max movies, has been trying to get it made for years and years now, sometimes with Mel Gibson, now ultimately and thankfully without Mel Gibson. But uh, one thing that I, I wanted to kind of read here is just the list of names of characters. So, and I quote directly from from the press release now, Mad Max Fury Road also stars Nicholas Holt as Nux, Hugh Keysburn as Immortan Joe, Nathan Jones as Rictus Erectus, also features... Also, also features, Jeff, collectively known as The Wives, Zoe Kravitz plays Toast, Riley Keough is Capable, and Rosie Huntington-Whiteley is Splendid. They are joined by supermodel Abby Lee Kershaw as The Dag and Courtney Eaton as Fragile, both of whom are making their big screen debuts. Jeff, I think this wins for best names in a major motion picture uh, of, of the decade, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I can't say uh, this gives me any indication whether or not I'll, I'll like the movie, but uh, <laughs> I, I certainly those, am. those names definitely just trip off the tongue, and, <laughs> and, and Rictus Erectus certainly captures the imagination. Rictus Erectus, uh, I, I that guy might have spinoff potential. I think <laughs> there's, there's, there's a comic book there. I could just see the logo already. <laughs> um, now, now, who's playing um, Mad Max? Mad Max this this time around, uh, aka Max Rockatansky, is going to be played by Tom Hardy. Uh, recently seen, uh, or at least we saw about forty percent of his face in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, I'm I sort of really feel like he's a guy who could be you know, the, the sort of next great actor. I've actually thought that for a very long time now, ever since he stole the very underrated Star Trek nemesis from Patrick Stewart. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he does in this movie. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, 
I, I don't know about you, The Road Warrior might be my favorite action movie ever made. So just the, the idea of even sort of returning to that world in any way is sort of intriguing to me. Admittedly, the last time there was a Mad Max movie, it was Beyond Thunderdome, which is not a good movie by any means, but uh, still sort of intriguing. Are, are, you, are you a Mad Max fan at all, Jeff? Well, first of all, I, I love the idea that, like, you know, ever since Star Trek Nemesis, you've been holding this sort of Tom Hardy lotto ticket of like I know I know it's gonna strike big one day I know he's gonna be a big star and you you were on board board with that story for 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 years and years and years. Uh, well, Jeff, uh, I don't like to brag, but I think that I I can definitely pick them. You know, usually about one decade before they actually become big. But uh, you know, I was I, I was saying back in the not another teen movie. You know, that Chris Evans guy, he's gonna be Captain America someday. He's definitely gonna headline one of the biggest superhero movies of all time. And no one listened to me at the time, Jeff. But uh, you know, so now they since the, since they didn't listen to me, they they don't know if I'm making it up now or not. Right, that's very true. Yeah, you know how to pick them. Uh, look, I, I, I'm excited for this. I mean, I, I belong to the cult of the road warrior and kind of like, uh, uh, and, and, and believe as many do that, that's just one of the defining action movies of, of, of our time. Um, and I'm excited about, the, about this role and Tom Hardy in the role. I think he seems perfect for it. I think that he's going to um, really kind of break out even more through it. Um, I remember when we interviewed him for The Dark Knight Rises and, and, and uh, just hearing how much he was looking forward to doing that movie and then kind of being crushed with all of its delays um, and, and, and talking with us here about that. And, uh, and, and so what that tells me is that he's really invested in this role and, uh, and, and, and he's going to really pour a lot of himself into it. And so I, I, I expect sort of exciting things, at least from his character. Don't know about Rictus Erectus. <laughs> and, 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 and all the wives named after curious adjectives. <laughs> Toast, capable, and splendid. Ah, yes. Who can, who can forget the, the wives from Mad Max Fury Road? But my, uh, my, my, my heart already belongs to Fragile. Oh, <laughs> Fragile again. <laughs> uh, one last interesting little bit of news, uh, maybe interesting for me and, and uh, not for you, Jeff, given your, your, your tastes. Uh, they finally cast the character Finnick in Hunger Games 2 Catching Fire, going to be played by Sam Claflin, who recently was seen as the guy who was not the Huntsman in Snow White and the Huntsman. This concludes uh, what has probably been the most, uh, the most commented upon casting search in any movie since the last Hunger Games. Uh, frankly, I'm just kind of excited to no longer have to read blog posts by people saying, I want them to cast X young Hollywood actor as Finnick. Um, but uh, it'll be it, it'll be intriguing. The more that I the more that I kind of go back and think about the first Hunger Games movie, the more I weirdly get excited for the next one. Um, but uh, are you uh, at this point, Jeff? Like you know, having sort of seen the movie and liked it, where are you with your with your Hunger Games now? Are you hopping on the bandwagon, hopping off of it, hanging off the back, sort of wavering? I've, you know, the, the Hunger Games is one of our big fixations in our in our first several podcasts here, and um, uh, you know, I look back on on the Hunger Games and I think about did did that movie come out? Oh yes, yes, I did see that. It happened <laughs> earlier this year. It, it feels like a long time ago. That said, I, I'm with you. I, I I think about oh, Chapter Two of the Hunger Games, the, the next installment in that series. Um, I, I am looking forward to it. I did feel that the movie like. 
I, I engaged the movie from the perspective of someone who had not read the books and and wanted to become a fan of this world through the movie, and it, it did. I'm I, I was I'm in. Um, I think that you know uh, that, that the whole setup. We we we've talked about this at length about. How I, I loved how that, that film captured the utter horror and terror of this young hero kind of trapped in this absolutely sick and twisted like situation where she's gonna have to fight to the death to survive. Like, um, it, uh, uh, and, uh, so it captured my imagination for the world. I think there's still the a, a, a really great Hunger Games movie to be made, mm-hmm. and I and I hope this is it because mm-hmm. I'll definitely be there. I want to see it. I want to see the sequel. Yep, and I just look forward to complaining yet again about how the PG-13 rating is secretly ruining our children's future and so on and so forth. There we go, yeah. Um, Jeff, uh, I want to move on a a little bit here and talk about something that is very near and dear to our hearts and uh, I I hope very near and dear to the hearts of at least 1% of our listeners out there. Uh, We revealed our fixation on the show Big Brother last week in our Summer Obsessions podcast. This week, uh, I think the show had one of its most exciting episodes, uh, certainly this year, maybe in all the years that I've been watching. Um, I, I want to sort of uh, present this a little bit for our listeners who may not be watching this, the most important reality show on television right now. Um, so you sort of have in the house, and, 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 and Jeff, feel free to stop me if I am misdescribing anything along the way. You have in the house now these two alliances. One alliance is called the Quack Pack, and one alliance is called the Silent Six. Just start making the T-shirts right now. <laughs> the funny thing is that four people in the house are actually in both of those alliances. You have the Quack Pack, which is the five of them, and this kid, Ian. More on him later. And then the Silent Six, which is the four of them. And then Frank, who's basically the best competitor in the house right now. And Mike Boogie, who I think it's fair to say is the supervillain in the Big Brother house. I mean, this is a guy who's been there twice before... This is his third season. He has this sort of Heath Ledger as the Joker ability to really charm you, even as he's tearing your face off. He's managed to sort of stay in the house for this long, despite the fact that everyone knows he's secretly plotting their doom. So, this week... Uh, and the best thing about this guy is that he believes that Ian, who you'll remember is the sort of fifth other member of the Quack Pack, is loyal to him. Now, Ian is a guy very near and dear to my heart. He is a total nerd in every way. I mean, he came in, he just kind of has this sort of, uh, you know, kind of Clint Howard look to him. Looks like a guy who's been buried in engineering books that I can't imagine for, the, his, for his entire life. He came he's in... A super, he's a super skinny, scrawny guy with man boobs. Yes, exactly. Somehow, somehow has the perfect, imperfect uh, male body. This on a show, by the way, which otherwise tends to feature, you know... The the sort of model wannabe gym jacked dudes who probably spend their entire time in the Big Brother house tanning and, and working out, basically doing doing what I do all day, Jeff. Oh um, wow! Um, and uh, um, and uh, no, that's that's not true at all. I, I, I am Ian. Anyhow, um, so. Mike Boogie believes that Ian is very loyal to him, also believes that he's basically a nothing player. You know, there's this thing in Big Brother where you sort of have these smart players who accrue these dumb players around them. I usually call those players meat shields, you know? Like, they're people, they're people that you kind of want to carry with you to ultimately take the fall for you further down the line. 
but Ian has now revealed himself as the great Judas Goat traitor of the season, because whenever Mike Boogie talks to him, Ian takes that straight to the other alliance. And it's actually kind of incredible how he's done it, because, you know, Jeff, there's people on the show who are great liars and can lie straight to your face. We talked last week, you had the great reference to the fact that it's a lot like that game Mafia, you know, like who can just sort of lie through their teeth and and appear to be telling the truth. The great thing with Ian is that he's so kind of squirrely by nature that when he's lying and telling the truth, he sort of has the same kind of reaction. So it's worked out really brilliantly for him now where he's managed to sort of stab Boogie and his ally Frank in the back and they're blaming everybody else in the house right now. Right. There there were, you know, we're recording this podcast on Thursday and uh, and, and in tonight's episode of... of, um, Big Brother, that we will have the live eviction, but we'll also get a little like update on what's been going on in the house over the past couple days. So we are really referring to the Wednesday night episode, um, and in that Wednesday night episode, there were many, many times where I was convinced that Boogie and Frank were going to completely see through Ian. Like I was completely baffled why they were not, you know. I just love the drama there and the irony of it all that Boogie, and, and, and to some degree Frank, but especially Boogie, like holds himself up and considers himself this amazing smart player who, who thinks he knows everything that's going on in the house, who's this incredible astute judge of character and behavior and strategy, and he thinks that like he completely has Ian wrapped around his finger, and he couldn't be more wrong. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, this Ian guy is completely, at this point, poised to, to doom Mike Boogie. And, <laughs> and, and, and Boogie doesn't even know it. And there were, but, but there were a couple times where I thought, and just so that, you know, for people who are, or, who are still listening um, and, 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 and want the update on this, like, you know, uh, Boogie, uh, Ian had basically ratted out a piece of information that Mike had told him, and, and Ian brought this information back to um, his Quack Pack Alliance, which is currently in charge of the house this week. And based on this piece of intel that Ian snagged from Mike and brought to the Quack Pack, the Quack Pack decided to betray Boogie and Frank, who are members of their Secret Six Alliance, and put them up for nomination for eviction. And they did so believing that this this piece of information they got from Ian was true, the information being that when Mike got into power next time, he was going to send someone up the river. I forget who. Yes, yes. Well, this is is the best thing about it. And this is where, again, like, you know, this sort of fantastic sort of game of telephone that goes on in this show is great. He had just kind of said in what seemed like idle chatter to Ian, you know, this was right before they were about to have the competition to decide who would be the new head of household, who was going to be in power. And Boogie was just kind of like, hey man, like if you win, you know, who are you going to, who are you going to put up on the block? Who are you going to nominate for eviction? And he threw out a couple of names. He threw out Brittany and Shane, who were the two players who wound up being in power this week. Now, 
now they've played this video several times, and you know, I, I, I've sort of given it the the Francis Ford Coppola's conversation treatment, where every time I watch it, I kind of change my mind about what's going on there. It doesn't really seem like Boogie was saying, "Hey, here's here's my evil plan." It seems like he was just sort of talking. And the great thing is that Ian sort of took that and freaked out, and then took it to the to the other people, who then freaked out even more. And so at this point, it's become this kind of Boogie was going to stage a counter revolution, and it's all just right. kind of. <laughs> The larger, the larger context, I think, that, 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 that Boogie was speaking to there was, listen, Ian, you've got to start thinking about these kinds of things, which is that when, when, if you've survived another week in this house and you're in alliances that you know that ultimately one day or sooner or later, you're going to have to betray for the sake of your own survival in the house – you know, when you head into these head of household competitions, you really need to think about, like, do I want to win this week? If I win this week, you know, what am I prepared to do? Do I need to win? Maybe it's not in my best interest to win because I don't want to put people up that I don't want to put up. you got to start thinking about these things. And one of the things that he encouraged Ian to think about, because I remember that was the tail end of this clip, which is, dude, you got to think about these things, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. like, if you get in power, is this the week that you want to betray your alliance for the sake of getting ahead and for the sake of and, – and, 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 to, and to make a bold move? Um, you know, is, this the, is there someone – do you have an enemy in the house that you really want to get out? What was implicit in his advice was, if there is no overriding reason for you to be head of household, one of the strategies you have to think about is not playing seriously for head of household, is to not lose it. If you know you're going to be safe no matter what, and you don't want to make any enemies by putting people up, don't win. Don't mm-hmm. throw it. Get, mm-hmm. get out of it. And so in this context, they focused on this one aspect. This was my interpretation, which was if, if I'm up, I mean, i got to think about these things. Maybe I put up Brittany. Maybe I – like, you, you have to think this through. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Ian took this information. He brought it to his Quack Pack Alliance. <laughs> they, they freaked out. They were like, oh, crap. You know, like if Boogie or Frank get 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 ahead get ahead of household, this is going to be the week that they're going to turn against us. Mm-hmm. If we get in control, we should turn against them. That's exactly what happened. And so, since then, Ian has been playing his role of spy, continuing to play the role of, "Hey, I'm friends with you, Mike and and Ian," and then going back to his alliance and telling them everything that Mike. And, 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 and Frank talk about. And, and conversely, Ian goes back to Mike and, and, and Frank and plays dumb about what he knows. And the thing that was absolutely amazing about Wednesday night is that I think Ian is a horrible liar. <laughs> and, and when he's hanging out with Frank and Ian and, and, and Frank and, and, and Boogie, and Frank and Boogie are like, so, like, like, where did they hear that information that we were coming after them? Who could have told them? Mm-hmm. Who could have told them? And Ian is sitting there over there on his bed with the worst poker face ever. Oh, it's, it's great. He's like, please don't remember that you, that, uh, that you told me this information and that I'm the only one in the freaking house that could have ratted you out. Please don't remember. Please don't remember. It's such- and they don't. They can't remember. It's hilarious. 
it's 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 incredible. It's one of those moments that again, like you know, I, I think it really defines when reality TV can be incredible. Is yeah, you have these two characters, sorry, these these two players who are so good at this game, and one especially who is so good at teasing out, you know, which lie are they telling? Who's going after me this week? And he can't see right in front of his face this guy who's probably not even half the player that he is is just completely running away with the game from him. Right, and I, I can't. Now I can't, uh, I don't know what I want more right now. I mean, I definitely want um, Mike to stay in the house because of my belief about Big Brother. As much as we want the villains out, and people want Mike out of that house, including my wife. My wife hates Mike Bookie, <laughs> like, hates him, wants him out. And I keep on telling her, like, Amy, the minute they kick that guy out of the house, this show becomes at least 25% more boring. Yep. I mean, it, it, yep. it, it just, it, it just it will not be as interesting. You need villains like this in the house. So I want him to survive just so that I can sort of like enjoy this sweet, sweet tension, which is what do I want more? Do I want, do I still want, do I want to keep on watching Mike and Frank like hanging out with Ian and being completely oblivious to the fact that this kid is playing them or do I want them to find out because once they find out what this kid has been doing Oh, that's going to be an awesome fight. It, it, it'll be incredible. I mean, like, uh, w w what I'm hoping for, Jeff, you know, I'm a, I'm a simple man with simple desires. I just want there to be a moment where Boogie is voted out, knows what went down, you know, walks over to sort of, like, shake Ian's hand, and Ian says, well, it looks like, well, it looks like the master has become the pupil. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. I, I, I want the Michael Corleone Frodo moment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's there will be like 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 a, a very passionate kiss of death. Like, how could you do it, Ian? You broke my heart. You broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it'll 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 be exciting, uh, Jeff. Uh, Lil, I'm sure that we'll return to, to Big Brother more often. Listeners, let us know if you enjoy us talking about Big Brother, and we can easily spend hours and hours talking about it each week. Uh, but Jeff, I I want to move on now. Uh, I, I think that it, it, this is a good time to maybe refocus a little bit onto the world of superheroes. Uh, a very special event is happening, uh, something that, you know, maybe you, one could argue the entire history of superheroes has built up to this moment. One could argue that. I wouldn't personally, but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure people <laughs> one could. One, Someone crazy and dumb and stupid, one, one, one could make that argument. You know, one could argue about anything if one really wanted to. Um, but, uh, no, Jeff, uh, so, uh, you know, you, uh, you actually broke the exclusive earlier this week. Uh, the upcoming issue of Justice League number 12 will feature the beginning of what seems like a very serious romance between Superman and Wonder Woman. Um, this is this is not happening in you know some fantasy world Earth One, uh, Elseworlds thing. This is a genuine event. Can you still talk a little bit about this, Jeff? Yeah, to set it up and put it in context. I mean, for for, for anyone who um, has been following this or has been kind of checked out of superhero comics for a while, but one year ago, a little more than a year ago, DC kind of rebooted its entire line of superhero comics. Um, and kind of rewrote its continuity. One of the things they wrote out of the of, of the superhero com of, of Superman comics is Superman's romance with Lois Lane. Now, in in, in you know uh, uh, as of a couple years ago, and I 
I've been checked. I personally have been checked out of Superman comics for quite a while. But you know, they they were in love, and I think at some point they were actually married, and they 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 were married. I think for several years leading up to the reboot, in which their marriage was undone, and now in the Superman comics, um, you know, uh, Lois has returned to this sort of place where. Um, she is obsessed with reporting on on on, on Superman. You know, I, I don't want to speak to this, but I actually kind of don't know. Uh, what, what what's for certain is Lois and Superman not a thing. They, they are they are not together. So over the past sort of year of storytelling, especially in the the pages of Justice League, there has been uh, the way that Jeff Johns has been writing this. There have been hints that maybe Wonder Woman has some kind of like sparky relationship with Superman and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and perhaps with some other heroes, too, but the romance, definitely not, not the main part of that. Currently, they're in a storyline that finds um, uh, this sort of like uh, this, uh, Steve Trevor, I believe, um, like Wonder Woman's longtime main squeeze in the history of her comics, right? Yep. It plays a key role in, in the Justice League as sort of like a government liaison type. And he's in a big spot of trouble in the current storyline. And if, if I don't know for certain, but, um, and I don't have any inside information on this, but, but I'm kind of afraid that what's going to happen in issue 12 is that, is that, is that this guy's going to bite the dust. Right, and right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to emotionally devastate all the members of the Justice League. And in this moment, I suspect Superman and Wonder Woman might take solace in each other. Oh, no, it'll be like... like, It leads to a kiss, but what what we definitely know for sure is that it leads to some kind of... Whatever happens in issue 12 of Justice League, um, they kiss, and it begins this romance that will... that becomes part of continuity. It's not like a, oops, we made a mistake, let's pretend like this never happened. Like, they're going to begin a relationship, and it's going to be explored in various different DC comics, um, and it's it's legit. It's continuity, and it's going to be as as Jeff Johns told us. It's the new status quo. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to quote uh, one thing from from the item that you wrote, Jeff. Uh, <clears throat> you were you were speaking to writer Jeff Johns. Uh, this is the new status quo, says Johns, adding that the, that the relationship will have a seismic impact on all of the heroes and villains in the DC universe. Hubba I like hubba. Of my prose, by whew, the way. Thank Hubba, 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 man, a, 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 a seismic impact. I mean, jeez. Uh, <laughs> NS- what, what, what does that evoke for you? NS- Wait a let's, let, let's let's dig into this a little bit. NS- like, NSFW. Where, dirty mind going here? <laughs> Listen, they're both superheroes. That's all I'm saying. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm actually kind of intrigued by this. Uh, you know, uh, I was not a necessarily a, a huge fan of some of the initial books that I read in the New 52, but I always loved the idea of let's just clear the deck a little bit. I mean, I, I sort of tend to think that, like, too much continuity is the absolute worst thing that can happen to any sort of comic book character. Certainly with Superman and Lois Lane. I mean, I, I remember, I think, the issue where they got married came out while I was still reading comics when I was a kid. And so, you know, once they're married, you, you kind of lose a lot of that fun sense of romantic tension and everything. And so it's, it's interesting. I, I'd love to see sort of what they, you know, 
how relationshipy they're going to make this relationship, you know? I mean, like, is, is it going to be, like, are we going to see sort of Astro City style, like, them try to go on a date and all the other heroes are sort of trying to cover for them? I mean, uh, you know, there is, you know, there is a certain, there is a certain fun element to this where I, I'm sort of intrigued to see if this does actually become the new status quo or if it... Uh, uh, yeah, you know, like, what's the, you know, are we going to get to the point where they're just, like, you know, at that awkward, like, five-month phase, you know, like, Wonder Woman comes over and, you know, they say, do you want to watch TV? And they wind up watching too much Real Housewives of Metropolis. Uh, it'll be, uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how this, how this functions. One thing that I enjoyed about your item, though, Jeff, is that uh, in the comments, a lot of people were upset that Wonder Woman was not getting together with Batman. That's apparently a, a very popular uh, relationship that uh, people are sad to see is not going to happen. Personally, I, I always thought that her and Aquaman were more of an item, but... Uh... Uh, that feels a little fishy to me. <laughs> I don't even know why that makes any sense. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Uh, like, like uh, the <laughs> Wonder Woman and Batman, why? Why? Like, is it just kind of like bad boy? Like, he, he's a brooding jerk um he's dark and he's kind of scary like other than kind of having some kind of like guy in a leather jacket sex appeal like i don't think that batman offers a woman anything strong words jeff strong words are, are you oh, yes, yes. are you I, I, you know like when i when i initially thought of superman and wonder woman hooking up i i think just theoretically superhero romance like this not that there haven't been superhero romances that I've enjoyed like you know growing up you know Jean Grey Scott Summers and the X-Men like Mm -hmm. was a great romance but pairing Superman and Wonder Woman that always kind of felt like no like it like that that's always just going to be a stunt no one really wants to see that but you know maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid but when Jeff was talking about it on the phone with me I, I I kind of bought it in the mm-hmm. sense of like, I think that these characters have a lot in common and they can be themselves, if you will, in a way that they cannot be themselves with mere mortal lovers. So they have, probably have a lot to offer each other. They're both pretty good looking. Like, I understand why they would be like physically attracted to each other. And I think that they could have a real connection. Clearly, though, you and I can bet that this will go wrong at some point. <laughs> like, they, this will not be permanent. There is something, I think, in my sort of, like, comic book fanboy um, uh, bones that believes that at the end of the day, Superman belongs with Lois Lane. Um, but I'm, but, I, but I, I think that in this sort of rebooted world, uh, I can buy a, a, a romance for, for a time between two superheroes that work a lot together, spend a lot of time together. Um, there would be attraction like that. It feels like it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, there's some days, Jeff, when like, you know, I sort of wonder if someday we'll live in a time when pretty much every movie made by Hollywood is a superhero movie. And with this, I'm kind of like, you know, this could make for a charming romantic comedy somewhere down the line. You know, I mean, you got like Superman and Wonder Woman. You know, she's a she's a princess from a faraway island who's new to the ways of America. He's a plucky farm boy living in some dark in, in Manhattan working as a blogger at the, at the Daily Planet has a real upstairs-downstairs quality to it that I'm, that I'm really in favor of. 
Wow. Well, I mean, there you go. Pitch the pilot. I mean, um, that, that, that story could be yours. Hollywood, I, I, Hollywood. if you're listening, Catherine Heigl, if you're listening, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I, have, I, I have the first season already planned out. <laughs> you know, as I thought about this, this new relationship more, I, you know, speaking of Hollywood, we both know that, that, that Warner Brothers is trying to develop um, a Justice League movie, mm-hmm. and I've always believed that if you if you look back to the first six issues of what Jeff Johns and Jim Lee have done um, in, in their new Justice League comic, which I actually really enjoy, I, I read the first several issues, kind of checked out of it for a while, but have have have, have caught up to speed as as part of doing this story, and I've actually really I'm I'm really enjoying it. But it seems to me that um, I don't think they would ever say this. Um, and the next time I talk to them, I want to talk to them about this, obviously, which is it, it feels to me that they are actually laying out something of a thematic blueprint for how for how Hollywood could treat these characters in a big screen movie um, version of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. To that end, it made me wonder if one of the thoughts of hooking up like Superman and Wonder Woman um, was like, you know, Hollywood loves romance. They, you know, they, 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 they want that element in some of these stories. They feel like it could help broaden the appeal of these stories. And I kind of wonder if maybe one of the, one of the experiments of, of all of this is to say, hey, could a Superman and Wonder Woman romance work? Let's test it out in the comics. If readers and fans go for it, and if there's actual promise here, this is an idea that the that that the movie makers. Um, can 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 draw upon and, mm-hmm. and bring into their to their movie because clearly it's something that they're going to want to think about and want want to play with in the movies. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting, you know, uh, what you're saying about the new rebooted uh, Justice League. It almost strikes me that from what I read of the first six issues or so of uh, the new rebooted series, which sort of comprised this really interesting, almost origin story for the Justice League, it's it, it's oddly similar. And you know, I'm 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 not saying I. I think this is absolutely coincidental because, of course, it was being planned out, you know, a year before the film came out. It's oddly similar in some ways to the plot of Avengers, where you sort of have this big sort of all-encompassing cosmic, uh, you know, villain, which in in the Justice League's case, I believe, was Darkseid and the sort of right. forces of apocalypse as this sort of... Uh, you know, this interesting, effective MacGuffin for getting all these different characters together, even to the extent that each issue was almost sort of a, like a little, you know, you first see Green Lantern and meeting Batman, and then they go here and they, and they meet Superman, and it's almost this kind of very effective little, you know, let's meet all these people one by one and then get them all together. I, I, I'd be intrigued to see if that is the tactic they take with the Justice League movie. You know, I, I'd be disappointed only because as someone who's a huge fan of, of the Grant Morrison era, I always kind of preferred the Justice League that was all the heavy hitters who functioned perfectly as a team, tackling huge, unparalleled villains, uh, you know, with a with a budget that in, in movie form would probably far exceed half a billion dollars. But, um, <laughs> well, that was, you know, it's funny you should say that about the, the, the similarity between the, the initial Justice League storyline and the Avengers plot, um, because... A couple months ago, again, you know, right after the Avengers kind of took off, and the news started to trickle out that Warner Brothers was very excited about it, about getting a Justice League movie up and going, 
I wrote a post at the website that kind of speculated if there was sort of like now an arms race, um, essentially, between these two rival superhero team movies. Not that I completely buy into the DC-like entertainment versus Marvel Studios rivalry, but when it comes to these two properties, you know, and you have these these team-ups of iconic superheroes, and you see, you start asking, well, like, what story could a Justice League story tell that, like, has such massive stakes that requires every single iconic super superhero to team up and fight? Um, well, it, it, it can only be, um, uh, you know, uh, like the, the kind of story that Jeff and Jim told, like, in, in the first six issues, of, of, of Justice League, which is a, a threat of invasion by this cosmic deity alien like Darkseed. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's definitely like one of the iconic villains in the DC universe. I'm sure it's a villain that um, everyone over at Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment would love to see on the big screen, as would many, many fans. Um, that, that's just a great story for them to tell. Problem. The problem is, is that it seemed at the end of the Avengers signaled that that's exactly the kind of story that they wanted to tell next because it teased that the villain of their next movie, or at least the big villain of the next phase of of, of phase two of the Marvel Studios, is going to be their dark seed, dark side, or however you want to pronounce it, analog, Thanos. Mm -hmm. Um, And very similar villains. And so I just kind of felt like like I wonder if Justice League, if if if, the, if, the, if if Warner Brothers and the producers of the Justice League movie have really been planning to launch that franchise with Darkseid as a villain, and have some kind of plot in which Darkseid, Darkseid, I wish I really knew how to pronounce his name. Let's let's um, let's agree to say Darkseid because that's how I always said it back in the day before someone okay. corrected me. Darkseid. So if they're considering any kind of plot in which Darkseid invades like Earth from his planet of apocalypse with a demon-alien horde of warriors. I mean, already that feels very, very much like the first film of the Avengers. Yeah, well, um, and, oh, absolutely. If, if that was the story that, that, that they want to tell and launch the Justice League with, I, you know, they got to get that movie out there quickly and ideally beat the Avengers mm-hmm. because... Otherwise, if that's the story that they're going to go with, it's just going to feel every critic, every journalist is going to write, they're just, that doesn't know really their superhero stuff is probably just going to say, this is just an Avengers retread, or they're ripping off the Avengers. They couldn't come up with a more inspired story. Well, and it's interesting to me, Jeff, because speaking as someone who was a comic book fan growing up, it's almost funny to see how these debates and these major structural problems that were present in comic books when I was a kid are now becoming major aspects of these huge movies that, you know, uh, uh, upon the back of which rest the potential future of studios and multinational corporations. Because I remember as a kid, you know, I was kind of growing up in the era when you had Infinity Gauntlet, which was the sort of big Thanos storyline, the big, you know, Thanos destroys half the universe. And then right along that same time period, you'd get all these huge storylines featuring Darkseed or featuring some similar huge cosmic character with plans that would just, you know, literally they could slice through a planet on the first page and that was sort of the prologue. And it's funny how 
it's taken comic book movies about just a little over a decade to reach this point of what you call it, this sort of zero, you know, this arms race, you know? I mean, I feel like we're getting to the point where if this keeps up, then by Avengers 3, you know, what are they, they going to be fighting against? I mean, uh, I, I always remember, and, you know, to me, Grant Morrison is still the only one who can even really tell these kinds of stories sometimes. But by the end of his run on JLA, they were fighting against a character whose name was Mageddon, as in, you know, Armageddon. Um, and uh, I can't believe I just said that. And uh, if I recall correctly, Mageddon was a sentient son who could, like, destroy whole timelines. And the only way they defeated him was that they made everyone on Earth superpowered. And it was just kind of this, like, you know, you, you should reach this point where you're almost in the realm of pure abstraction, you know? I mean, like, why not just have, like, you know, the noble yellow dot fight the evil red dot and kind of leave it at that? Um, and so right. I, 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 you know, I, I remember that after Avengers came out, Joss Whedon was quoted as saying he'd love to do something a little bit smaller and more down to earth with the second movie. At the time, I joked that he had just gotten himself out of directing the second movie. Clearly, that's not the case now. So, yeah, I, I'd love to know, like, you know, do, do you keep on trying to one-up the other guy until you're kind of at that, you know, at, at the point of Superman throwing Mars at, you know, the the bad guy just to defeat him? It's you sort of reach a, reach a point where it seems like it's diminishing returns. Yeah, I mean, what, what you're pointing to, I totally agree with, is the problem of stakes in our current superhero cinema. And I think this is something that movie makers and studios are really focused on. The stakes just have to be ginormous, and you just wonder where things are going to go. We've talked about this earlier in, um, in, in previous podcasts, and we kind of alluded to it in, in this podcast, where I kind of felt like The Hunger Games was a real game-changer um, in the sense of, like, that was a kid's fantasy film in which the stakes were like homicide. It was kids killing kids, and it was real, and it was scary, and it made me wonder at the time a couple months ago, like, what's next? I mean, if this is what's popular right now, and if this is what passes for credible, riveting drama, what, do, what, what does the next kid's fantasy film have to do to feel real and high stakes? Similarly, we're coming off of a summer that saw a, a, a Dark Knight Rises movie that ended with the detonation of an atomic bomb, you know, um, and, 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 and that's what was at stake, the nuclear incineration of Gotham City. You know, similarly, like we saw a battle to end all battles in New York City between the Avengers and an alien invasion from outer space that was, that was huge. Like, that's a huge, huge stakes. Like, what could possibly be next so yeah i mean like and, and where does it go and at what point do you like does it become like as you say like completely absurd um uh like and, and it just kind of blows up and and and, and there's just no more cr credible stakes at all jeff and jeff I, let I, me I, think I could doom this genre jeff let me pitch you where exactly where it, it's going to go two dystopian societies both ruled entirely by children are hurling nuclear bombs at each other, specifically <laughs> specifically just firing nuclear bombs at specific people. It'll be called the Butter Battle Movie. <laughs> Hollywood, give me a call. This is just like platinum hits right and left here at Entertainment Geekly right. Central. Um, but yeah, but no. Know, but, but you brought up you brought up Joss Whedon's quote from earlier in the summer. Hey, what would you do? 
with the Avengers 2, and then he, he said basically kind of like, I want to strip it down. Let's make it a little quiet indie movie. And, you know, there's this kind of subversive part of me that wonders if, if, if that could happen. Like, what if in, in, in the course of phase two of, of Marvel Studios storytelling that the Guardians of the Galaxy will ultimately be the, the movie where we get the, the payoff to the Thanos storyline, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. where it's Guardians of the Galaxy, like, like battling Thanos and neutralizing him and, and, and stopping him from, like, invading the galaxy and going to Earth. And the Avengers tells a very different story. Maybe the Avengers 2 is where the Marvel Universe actually goes into Phase 3, but maybe kind of, like, ratchets down the stakes a little bit mm-hmm. where and becomes a more sort of, like, lower-budget, more sort of, like, like uh, obviously there has to be some kind of stakes, but maybe Joss will get some version of his wish because I just don't know how much more cosmically apocalyptic like the stakes can get in these I mean, movies. I mean, you know, what, what, you're ultimately, what you're ultimately left with is, uh, you know, you sort of reach the point that, that Jim Starlin reached after, you know, a long time writing these cosmic stories. I always remember in, in, in this one storyline, The Infinity Crusade, you had all these scenes where characters were talking to a character named Eternity, and Eternity, if you remember, Jeff, was just this sort of anthropomorphized universe. You literally just look at him and he had, he was sort of a face on top of a big billowy just space and you kind of saw stars and planets all over his body. But whenever you talk to him, you just saw characters hanging out in this abstract white void. And, and that was sort of always the most dramatic part of the, of, of the issue. Like, oh my, they're talking to the character who represents everything that has ever been. And it was always kind of like, you know, once, once you reach that point, I, I'm not sure if there's anywhere else you can go. That being said, Ian McShane, totally perfect for eternity. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start the, the, the online campaign now. <laughs> I just got done rereading all of Jim Starlin's Warlock comics. Um, in fact, I've spent the past couple of days doing that. And uh, it's funny because, like, to exactly to your point, Eternity doesn't pop up in these comics, but he has, like, you know, um, at one point, you know, like a- a- these these embodiments of order and chaos. <laughs> and and one, of it, one of my favorite Starlin creations, the in-betweener, who is this sort of, like, character that is, alternately black and white and he um he 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 lives at the intersection of fact and fiction fantasy and reality um and and he sort of represents turning points and um and and all possibilities and when he shows up it means that you've reached this sort of like defining moment of choice in your life and it's like it's 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 crazy but you know like but really cool like and 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 uh, if they ever try to make it into a movie, these bring these characters in a movie, in, in a movie, it probably will never work. But uh, I'm I'm utterly charmed by them and like thinking about them when they're on the page. Absolutely. I mean, I want to make it clear: no one is dissing Jim Starlin here. I mean, like uh, some right. some of his stuff. I mean, to me, it has like the sort of raw poetry of like an off Broadway play combined with this sort of free floating surrealism that I, I it really when it was you know when it was good it was really fantastic and you know it sort of managed to mix silliness and philosophy together all at once. Let that be our watchword, Jeff: mix silliness 
Paris and philosophy together. Uh, I want to move on a little bit, uh, but stay within the realm of, of, of superheroes. Uh, Jeff, we talked on an earlier podcast about our big superhero showdown bracket game. We've now reached the final four, Jeff, if, if you can believe it, which uh, I, think, I think final four is the sports term for it. Is, is that correct? Calam- yes, that it would be the sports is it, term is for it. it. Is it yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's not the, the climactic quad, it's, it's final four. Anyhow, uh, we're down to the last two matchups, uh, which are, are open for votes right now. Superman versus Spider-Man and Batman versus Iron Man. These are all kind of kind of nail biters, I think. What I sort of like about it is the fact that, you know, Superman versus Spider-Man, in many ways, the defining Marvel versus DC matchup of the first, you know, four decades of Marvel and DC sort of being competitors. And then Batman versus Iron Man. I mean, to me, those characters are maybe even more popular or more exemplary of the Marvel DC divide than Superman and Spider-Man are now. Um, so all that being said, I'm voting for Hellboy. But uh, uh, how do you? <laughs> what do you? What do you sort of think about these these final matchups, Jeff? Well, Superman versus Spider-Man that doesn't seem to be fair. I mean, as a Final Four matchup, um, uh, that's almost a matchup that you wish that could happen. Um, in, in, in the finals. Who set up this bracket anyway? What, what lunatic set up this ridiculous bracket? Well, I, I will, I will, I'll find out who done it, Jeff. I'll find out who done it. I wish to file a sharply worded complaint with that person. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, Superman, like the, the definition of the superhero, um, but who by the early 60s was already acquiring some dust and people were uh, like looking at him and kind of going like, I can't relate to him, and um, and and he doesn't recognize, he doesn't embody any kind of contemporary uh, uh, sense of, of of heroism. Like you know, people were thinking that in the '60s. Stan Lee certainly was, and 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 with his artistic collaborators, like created a character that was a response to Spider-Man, uh, Superman, and it was Spider-Man. So. Um, and, and he's turned into this incredible, extraordinary icon um, himself and embodies a whole different approach to superheroes, um, even as Superman has endured. So, yeah, it's almost not fair. I mean, that seems like to be a finals matchup with one exception that I think that w- that makes a lot of sense, which would be Superman versus Batman mm-hmm. or Spider-Man versus Batman. And we could have that. Um I would be shocked if Batman is doesn't beat Iron Man on the other side of the bracket. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that I'm 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 actually surprised that Iron Man has made it this far. Um, like from a historical perspective on superheroes, like uh, I, I I'm surprised from a very contemporary perspective on superheroes, given the popularity of Iron Man as played by Robert Downey Jr. in the movies. Given that I think Iron Man is very relevant to the culture character because we live in times that are very much about technology, and that's on our mind. Yeah, Iron Man makes a lot of sense uh, from a historical point of view. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but I think that Batman has to be Iron Man. Well, and it's it, it, it's interesting that uh, you know you, you you mentioned this, Jeff. Whoever this is who put this bracket together, he somewhat brilliantly gave Batman a, a very difficult path to getting here. Batman, of course, had to face down the Punisher and Wolverine. Iron Man, conversely, had a relatively easy time of it until he went up against Captain America. And I was kind of impressed to find out that people kind of overwhelmingly voted for Iron Man over Captain America. I mean, I guess, like, I assumed 
the same sort of wave of pretty basic nostalgia that I think leads people to vote for Superman would also connect with Cap. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I think you're right that I don't know if there's any superhero whose overall place in the culture has been more greatly aided by the actor who played him. Because Iron Man is not that interesting, I don't think. I mean, like, uh, I, I think that at least as written and as I sort of remembered him, Tony Stark was never necessarily the most compelling uh, of all characters. I mean, you know, you sort of had the alcoholism a million years ago, and that was pretty much it for character traits. And then Robert Downey Jr. just really, I think, infused the character with this almost kind of James Bondy vibe that has proved very infectious and I think has sort of fed back into the comic books. Uh, it, it is interesting that he sort of ultimately is facing off against another uh, billionaire superhero, albeit the much more troubled uh, version of, of the billionaire superhero. Um, but uh, I, it, it does seem like we're cruising towards a Batman-Superman showdown, though. I'd be, I'd be very intrigued if Spider-Man beats Superman. Um, but uh, I think, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I would, I think you're right. Um, I, there is, it, it's weird I, it, how I kind of feel about this. I kind of don't want Superman to beat Spider-Man because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's a little boring. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that seems a little obvious. Um, and yet, when I think about Spider-Man beating Superman to make it into the finals, I kind of think, is that right? Mm-hmm. Is it, I mean, like, does Spider-Man, sh- should he beat Superman? Like, so I'm, I, I'm very torn on that. On the other side of the divide, I think that I, I, I would have rather have seen Batman go up against Wolverine mm-hmm. here. Like, I feel like that could have been a really interesting showdown um, Batman uh, Wolverine actually did face off in the quarterfinals. Interestingly yeah, but, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering if Wolverine was in a lower bra- <laughs> a, different, a different region. Like, you know, we, we, I think if Wolverine was in a different region, I think we would be seeing a Batman versus Wolverine um, showdown. The criticism with criticism of this bracket is is just is just never going to end, is it? No, I uh, I I think I, I think you're right. Batman versus Wolverine. Uh, that's Criticism. That's not really criticism of the bracket. I'm just saying, I'm more than anything, um, you know, because in real bracketology, and by real bracketology, I guess what I mean is the ba- college basketball. I mean, this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you get regions that get super saturated with heavy hitters, and you kind of go, and you know, you get you get teams that would get, you know, that that could potentially be Final Four or Elite Eight teams that get tossed out after the first or second round because they just the competition somehow some way and, and, and their bracket is just too intense mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um but i'm just saying if wolverine was in a different region i bet he'd go deeper into the contest i, I think you're right i think i think ultimately this may come down to anyone who faces off against batman is probably facing a losing battle just want to give you one live update here jeff this is as of 243 on thursday superman is up over spider-man 55 to 45 so, okay. listeners, uh, you can vote in the Superman, Spider-Man, and Batman, Iron Man matchup all throughout this weekend. Uh, we're excited to see where this winds up. If it winds up being Superman versus Batman, that'll be exciting. If it winds up being Superman versus Iron Man, that'll be somewhat less exciting. But you know, we you know we just <laughs> we just we just manage the bracket. You know, we don't uh, you know we we can't control where where the votes go yet. It's all your fault, really, listener. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, Jeff, I think that about wraps us up for this week. Uh, I want to let the listeners know that you know we'll soon be embarking on some pretty exciting fall preview episodes, talking about the movies we're looking forward to, the TV shows we're looking forward to, some of the video games that we're looking forward to, also maybe even some music. Jeff, I don't know. You know, we listen to music. Is there any geeky music out there that we can talk about at some point? Skrillex. We will be having an entire podcast episode about Skrillex, listeners. Death Can you believe mouse? that? Or, or is it Dead Mouse? <laughs> I don't know. What are the crazy kids listening to these days? As far as I know, they're still listening to that punk rock, which is probably why I'm not a kid anymore. Um, Jeff, uh, that about wraps us up. Uh, listeners, thanks as always for listening. As always, I'm Darren Franish. I'm Jeff Jensen. See you next week.